It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you on this fine evening? I'm fabulous, Steve. How are you? I'm pretty good. Just got finished doing some sonic landscaping, and now I'm ready to do a podcast. I just got finished doing some regular landscaping. (laughs) I can't get over the conversation last week with Andy Curran. Just amazing. It was. We got such great feedback. It was a really good time talking to him. We have another great conversation for you today. But first, I must tell you, you can find us on Twitter, at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Send him your sonic landscaping tips. The bass <laughs> intro and outro was done by Lex. Follow or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And Jer, before you get to your email, I actually have a Twitter poll today. Oh, no way. Very exciting. So we talked about Power Windows about a month or so ago, and I did two Twitter polls. Side one was won by Marathon. Side two, yes, Middletown Dreams, was victorious. Okay. So I put out a third Twitter poll, pitting those two songs against each other. Oh. What do you think the Rush fans said? Marathon or Middletown Dreams? 50-50 chance, right? Yep. I am going with Marathon. You're correct. Hey, 67%. Two out of three. Just call me Jerry Coinflip. Middletown Dreams. People love it, though. 33%. 33%. 33% said Middletown Dreams. 67% said Marathon. That adds up to 100. I was just going to ask you, well, what were the other, <laughs> or the other answers? There were only two. <laughs> there were only two. I hope you have an email for us, Jer. I do have an email. All right. Uh, this is from Stefan. In Sweden. Hey, Stefan. Thanks for listening. He says, hi, Steve and Jerry. I heard your request about getting emails from non-English speaking countries, and I thought I should rise to the challenge. First of all, I want to say that your podcast is fantastic. Awesome. That's my favorite word, too. It is a good word. Your camaraderie, humor, and respect for each other is a joy listening to, not unlike the characteristics that Rush possess. Also, your humbleness when you say you're not real Rush fans is hilarious. I guess he thinks we're real Rush fans. He's wrong. When Power Windows came out, as a heavy metal fan in my late teens, I didn't have a clue what just came out in my speakers. The music was way too complex for me to understand. But when Hold Your Fire came out, the pieces fell into place and I was hooked. And I have been so ever since. Living in Sweden and far from where Rush did most of their touring, I have been lucky enough to see them three times. Seeing them for the first time in 1992 at Wembley Arena in London was special, but their rare outdoor gig at the Sweden Rock Festival in 2013 really stood out. That must have been a great show. Oh, man. To me, your podcast serves a great function as a sort of rush pal, and I have a feeling I'm not alone in this. I have a lot of friends that I discuss music with, but music lovers who are also into rush are amazingly rare, at least in Sweden. Being a drummer and a park ranger... I always felt a kind of affinity for Neil. His interest in nature, bird watching, and love of national parks always made me feel I had a kind of silly connection with Neil. I don't think he put silly. I don't, I don't think that's silly at all. No, not silly at all. Of course, I know Neil disliked that kind of fanship, but reading all of his books, you couldn't avoid feeling strongly about him and his way of living life to the fullest. A real paradox indeed, considering his extremely private life. To me, he certainly was more than a drummer. When he passed away, I was, of course, devastated. In my search for consolation, I was lucky to find your podcast. Hearing the two of you discussing everything about Rush was like finding a Rush friend from across the Atlantic. 
So thanks, guys. Wow. Now keep up the good work, working them angels, and please continue at least 100 more episodes. Wow. Regards, Stefan. I hope we can do it. Thanks, Stefan. That's so nice of you to say. It is nice. I'm glad we could be his, his rush pals across the Atlantic. Well, that's what makes doing this podcast so rewarding for me, just the fact that people consider us friends. Yeah. And we're just filling that void for them. And I, I really think it's great. I think it's great, too. Warms the heart. It certainly does. Someone else who warms the heart is our next guest, Jar. Yep. Progressive rock singer and songwriter from Greenville, South Carolina. His music is inspired by his favorite band. Guess who that is? Rush. Rush. You can see as many Rush covers on his YouTube channel and SoundCloud page. Brandon Dyke, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I'm definitely excited to be here. So we like to start by asking our guests, Brandon, their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Well, I heard about them a couple of weeks ago, actually, and I've been really <laughs> prolifically going to the, co- I'm just kidding. You went, you went back in time and recorded That's all of right. those covers. That's exactly right. That was like a, a, another life experience. Um, <laughs> that was uh, basically when I go back to my childhood, really, because gosh, I started skateboarding when I was 10, but when I was 13, I started playing guitar for the first time. And that was right around 1990. 91 in that area. So basically for me, I had already been skateboarding a lot and learned a lot about different music that skateboarders like. But my guitar teacher, when I started taking lessons when I was 13 years old, he basically handed me moving pictures on tape and (laughs) on tape. (laughs) um, And he said, look, you're going to have to listen to this album. It will change the way that you look at music forever. Right. So I get the pinnacle album that most people would say, if you listen to one Rush album, listen to this first. Yeah. So I had the tape and I just started listening to it. And I was like, whoa, I couldn't believe how much of an experience I was having with the whole entire album and how the track flow was. It just, it really intrigued me. And you guys have to look at the 1990s, early 1990s. We had Nirvana coming out, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins and all these grunge bands. So I listened to all that stuff too and really liked it. But um, when I heard Rush, it was something that just sort of grabbed me in a very, very personal way. So obviously Tom Sawyer was the first Rush song I heard. I was like, wow. And I got hooked after I heard that album. And again, my guitar teacher sort of set me up for that if you, you know, if you want to look at it that way. But it was great because listening to the record for a week and bringing the tape back to him, I went out the next two or three weeks and bought the whole entire collection. And at the time that was actually up to Presto Mm -hmm. because roll the bones didn't quite come out yet. And so when I basically started listening to all the albums up to date, I was just blown away how different each album was. And so I kind of got really excited about the fact that one band had totally different chapters, if you will. And so when I got to listening to roll the bones, they played Dreamline on the radio. And I was like, I taped it just so that I could hear it again and again. Um, And I actually learned Alex's guitar solo before the album even came out. That was a lot of fun. So when I went to the mall that time, there's a place in Florida where I grew up. There was a Seminole Mall, which we used to outrun mall cops on our skateboards with. But basically having the first experience of waiting in a line to buy a Rush album. And so 
it was really neat. I, I had heard Dreamline on the radio tons and recorded it, of course, too. And I was just really excited to see what the next album would you know, sound like. So, of course, we go to Roll the Bones and I'm like, man, Dreamline, of course, I had heard on the radio, but then Bravado and then Roll the Bones itself and all of a sudden rap. Right. <laughs> right. Like you're like, wow, that's crazy that they put that in there, but somehow it just works. So um, basically at that point I started playing in local bands and stuff. And my first band was called brainstorm. It was my friend, Jason Rex wrote on drums. He was an awesome drummer that took lessons and could do all the uh, marching band chops too, you know? Um, and then my brother actually played bass and sang and we had this sort of like this alternative rock band called brainstorm and so my first gig was playing with them and being able to like actually at 15 years old like play a, a real gig opening up for a pretty good band you know and so just having those experiences where rush was a part of that and how it really you know nurtured the ability to be able to arrange a song and listen to what they were doing and of course i learned a lot of the guitar stuff note for note because i loved it i would bring in an a Rush song to my second guitar teacher, actually. Um, and he had a really great ear and he's like super kind of like rock fusion player. He's played with like Jeff Berlin and he actually was um, very cool about it because obviously we didn't have YouTube back then. He was like, hey, just bring in another one that you want to learn and we'll transcribe it. And I just remember, I still have the copy of him writing out the trees for me. And, and I look at the piece of paper, it looks like a treasure map, you know, it's aged so much. But it was really neat because you just had the magic of those albums and the guitar stuff was just so rich on it that you would want to learn it. And so just being able to grow up with that, it just seemed very normal for me. So, but yeah, it was, it was great growing up in the 90s because, you know, I got to go to my first Rush concert and that was of of course, Roll the Bones. And another band that I'd like was the opening act, and that is Primus. And they opened up in 1992, February, and St. Pete it was my first Rush show. And at that particular tour, I think they also did a cool medley. Um, I held on to that, and that's why I like to do Rush medleys in my solo Rush tribute stuff. But um, I mean, like Rush sometimes grabs people in stages, different stages, I guess. But for me, it was like right away. And I just knew it was something that I would appreciate. And after you start learning, you know, the songs note for note, like I would do my homework to like 2112 or Caress the Steel or Hemispheres. And it was like, how did I do my homework to Hemisphere? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But then when I learned the music, I was like, wow, there's so much odd meters in there. It's all about math, you know? You know, I was going to ask you um, how your skateboarding friends took to Rush. Did any of them jump on the bandwagon? Yeah, actually, I did have a few people that I didn't really win them over, but the band did. But like <laughs> after true. they heard yeah. me talk about it, they were like, well, I and I was like, look, I said, just listen, at least promise me you'll listen to me, listen to uh, 2112. And so they did. And they're like, wow, I can kind of see why you like this. There's so much energy. So at the time, it just depended on who it was. Cause I mean, when I was growing up too, I listened to rap and stuff too, as a skateboarder, we listened to everything from yeah. black flag to like run DMC and everything in between. So it was definitely a, a part of that, but mainly after I got good enough to play Rush's music, I started 
just improvising over it where I would just find out the, the key that that section was in and just jam. And I think for me personally, that kind of solidified that I didn't necessarily just want to play just like Alex, you know, like, I mean, and I, I respect a lot of people that have to do that in a tribute band situation, but the, the beautiful thing about playing solo rush stuff is not one, not everybody's going to get it or like it, but I can interject my own musicality in there, you know, without having to buy all of the gear that Alex plays through. Right. And I play a lot of jazz and classical. And so the strings that I use are heavier gauge strings than most electric players. I play 11s and I would say most people in rush tribute bands would, would play nine or tens. And so I think that makes a difference where your background is. And also sometimes people just, they want to sort of make their mark on the guitar world and not necessarily just with one particular thing. And I know now it's like, man, fans just love tribute bands because they can get the experience with it too. You know, it was much kind of like when Neil was talking about, he felt weird playing other people's music with the who and stuff like that. After a while, he was like, I want to be me. <laughs> I just want to be good at the drums, but I want to have it. I want to make my mark in the drum world. So I think eventually people have to sort of choose, like, how do I spend my time? Hopefully, if they're a successful Rush tribute band, they'll spend all their time getting those things the way that they want to do it. But for me, it's kind of like it gave me a little bit more freedom to do what I would like to do. So some of, to answer your first question, some of your skateboarders, uh, some of the skateboard friends actually did take to liking it. And then sometimes I would just be teased about it. So in all, in, in all fun, of course. So you say in your rush covers, Brandon, you play them your own way, but did Alex Lifeson influence your playing in any way? Oh yes, of course. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, even if you hear my music, you'll definitely get the rush vibe. It's definitely there. My song Sift has a lot of, you know, Alex type of approaches on it. And even the riff, when I played the riff to Sift, it was like, I just knew that that was going to be a song. Like it, I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but like, I, I felt very passionate that that was the main riff of the song. And then I would just kind of like come up with, I had the riff, but I didn't know what it was going to tie into like thematically or, or content wise. And I just started playing it a good bit. And I was like, man, this sounds like a, like it's sifting or something. I was like, Ooh, yeah. I'll just call it sift, you know? Yeah. And so um, when I wrote this song, it was just from that riff. And then of course, being a musician for a long time, you know, music theory and you put that together and go, okay, now what do I want to do? So that song alone has so many Alex life's and approaches to it where I triple tracked the intro on that. I mean, I'm tuned down a half step, but, but yeah, Alex's approach to songs and the way that he would find the best guitar part for the best that he can do on to serve the song. I have learned that from all of his album, all of their albums. Um, and especially the 80s stuff, the way that he came up with parts. So what is Alex's approach to guitar? What makes his guitar playing different? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think his approach is he can know when he wants to put the gas pedal down and come out and make a huge statement like, I don't think you guys knew how good I was. I'm mm. going to show you 
but I'm going to do that in the context of serving the song. So I think the way Rush always worked was like, let's be in the room together and write so that we know what parts would work. And so I think the biggest trademark of Alex is one, when they start writing material, he just comes up with this genius stuff. And then as you've probably heard, Getty would say like, hey, play what you just did five minutes ago. Huh? I don't know what I played. <laughs> so we started secretly recording him, right? And I think that's the kind of way that, that, that I wanted to be, is to be able to know the instrument well enough where I could be listening to an already concrete idea and be able to add to that. And so for me, the classical and jazz background, it's easy to do that if you know the notes of the fretboard and if you have every chord memorized. I mean, that's a one advantage of learning how to read music, learning how to, to look at the fretboard and go, hey, eighth fret on the first string, that's a C. You could do it right away. You know, right. Just that sort of learning your instrument the best way that you can do. Um, and I think because I would say um, his vibrato and the way that he plays guitar, like a little heavier on the slides, I learned that from him and even a quicker vibrato where... Like, I didn't realize this, but I, for the longest time, I didn't play with a whammy bar at all um, with my own music. But there were times where my fingers would just start making a sound like Alex using his tremolo bar from the Floyd that he had in his um, guitars. So I think he, his approach inspired me, you know, be a team player, be able to look objectively at what you're trying to accomplish and say, this is the best part for the song. And even if it takes you five or six parts, it's worth it in the end. So, yeah, I mean, I think he inspires us not only by that, but I think just from the overall tonality of his playing. And, you know, he um, has proven that over again. And, and I think the other thing for me as a classical guitarist is his usage of the classical guitar throughout the music. I mean, the trees, step up to the guitar stand, play the trees, and then get on the... 355 or 335 again. Um, so I think it was his eclectic approach to guitar that he had no other choice but to learn those things and always be expanding that. So, I mean, for me, that's how. And then the last thing I want to say is obviously the feel. Because I can tell you, and you guys would probably agree with this, after playing my show of hands VHS tape <laughs> um, over and over again, the part that stands out to me that really solidified the fact that I wanted to spend my life being a musician was mission. The, the last part of mission on a show of hands where they've got the fireballs on the screens and I, just the way that he played that solo with so much feel. I think right there, that's Alex Lyson. You know, you get, you never get something that's stale. It's not, hey, just trying to do the right notes here. It's like, no, I'm going to take you on a journey and you're going to feel something. And I know you you guys had recently had Kevin J. Anderson on the show. Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was talking about that on the show. You know, like, hey, like when I listened to Available Light or I think you mentioned Bravado mm -hmm. and uh, The Pass and, you know, The Garden. If you did not have Alex Lyson's guitar playing, his own original guitar playing, it would definitely not be the same band, just as equal as, as Neil's contribution and Getty's contribution. So, I mean, they definitely had it good, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. They sure did. And Alex really was the glue that 
kept Rush together for 40 years, don't you think? Just what you said, serving the song yeah. and just sticking to that got him through 19 amazing albums. I would agree with you there. And I think all of them contributed in their, in their same way and in a unique way. Well, you know, obviously, um, Getty wrote lyrics from the beginning too, but he was happy to toss the baton onto Neil. And then, you know, I'm a huge Caress of Steel fan. I know not everybody likes it, but I just thought it was like, man, I want to go play some D and D, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then and then do my homework to it. But but the whole the whole idea of of that, I think you're dead on, is that he always expanded his way of playing and, and even his influences. It's like the first rush album, obviously you hear a lot of Jimmy page, uh, signature stuff in there, but then later on, Alex was listening to a guitarist. I like a lot too, no longer with us, but Alan Holsworth. So just that playing was completely different, especially if somebody says jazz is weird, right? Like, so mm-hmm. playing for a guy like that and realizing the legato playing that that he had to offer that he sort of brought to the table i think that was really neat and just i don't know like alex has a melodic sensibility that sort of sets him apart and what i love about his playing too is that he never sounds too worked out you know you you can go on instagram now and see guitarist after guitarist that and you'll watch him and it's like perfect audio perfect video i like that that's fine but that without the transients in the room, like there's a little bit lack of energy that you might have a very perfect recording, but the transients in the room and how you're making the audience feel, you have to work harder at that. So I think that's why most people, when they record, they always have to psych themselves up. Like let's, that sounded good, but it wasn't the take, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right by that with Alex for sure. So how do these considerations for you go into picking which songs to cover that's a whole nother topic and we'll switch over to getty here because i think that's sort of the missing the missing thing right there when i do rush covers there are times where i will totally change the key obviously but i had to start off very um carefully because i don't sound good with the falsetto vocal trying to sing in hemispheres range you know like like there's no power in that. Yes, I could falsetto the notes, but when you're doing a live performance, it doesn't really resonate. So what I tried to do is pick songs, obviously, that I could believe in. And I like all their songs, you know, let's be honest. But I tried to find the ones that would fit me and the and maybe um, even lyrically, like if this is what I can get behind and and kind of push. But mainly, I think, the music theory helps a lot to be able to take a rush riff and transpose it. I do that quite a bit and try to still uphold the same energy level or the same feel as a rush song, almost as if like they're really in my head and I'm playing with them kind of where the feel of the song is still somewhat the same. But now I had one person tell me, you sound like Cat Stevens. I was like, wow, (laughs) never heard that one, but but Cat Stevens and Rush, you know, put that, you would never put that together. At least I wouldn't. But I have a lot of people say a little Phil Collins, a lot of Peter Gabriel, maybe a little bit of Stephen Wilson in there. And so for me, I, I thought it was really important to be able to, to make it my own to the point where 
I could sing it and it would be something that people would want to have me at their house concert or at, a, at an acoustic cafe or theater or arena. So the consideration is definitely vocally. You know, I tell everyone I'm, I'm a rock singer, you know? Um, I did have voice lessons. I did take voice lessons. And I think a lot of times that helped me a lot, just getting the syllables so that people can understand the words that I'm singing. But a lot of times I see a lot of people and this works for them. They'll just instantly go to a different tuning and try to create something that's in a different key. I love taking standard tuning and just thinking about the music theory from the original recording and see if that transfers over into my into another key and how to uphold the integrity of the part. So that kind of stuff is good. Uh, as far as other considerations, which Rush songs work, when I do medleys, a lot of times when I do a Rush medley, I'm considering the pieces that might not have worked all the way through the song. So I'm taking these little well-worked parts and putting them together in a performance that Rush fans are like, what's he going to do next? And then they know the song. So they're like, oh, sing along for a little bit. Oh my gosh, he just went from you know, this into this song. I would never think that would work. But you draw those, the flat line through the whole medley and it has a theme and all that kind of stuff. And it works. It works for me. And my, I say interpretations of Rush songs. I like to look at it that way. So we thought it'd be cool, Brandon, to play a couple of your Rush covers and then have you talk about them. How's that sound? That sounds great. Why don't we start with uh, one from Fly By Night, In The End.
Brandon, why in the end? <laughs> why in the end? Well, I think that song just kind of spoke to me on something that I wanted to go back and do some covers from the earlier albums. So I actually had a day where I just kind of listened to, I think it was, it was the first, it was the debut Rush album, Fly By Night, Caress of Steel, and I think I did 2112. So I really just listened to those albums um, on this one particular day. And when I got to in the end, I was like, man, this is something that I always dug. And it was almost like every Rush fan I ever talked to, they never hated that song. But the other thing I thought interesting was that was the song that Neil didn't write the lyrics to on that particular one. There was just something about the vibe of that song that I knew that even if I didn't have a Rush show, I could sneak that one in at a regular gig where I was playing other tunes and people would kind of go, wow, I remember that song. But like, to me, it just, in the original key, I didn't quite have it, you know? But when I changed it to an open situation where I could use different chords, it gives you a bigger presence as you bring those open chords in. And so the key was, you know, perfect that I chose. But for me, it was, it was always one that, just sounded kind of cool and it had its own little sort of vibe to it. But lyrically, I thought it was clever. It ended up working. I tried it and I loved it. And then I was like, you know what, let's do a YouTube video. And that one went really easy at the studio that I teach at here in Malden, South Carolina. Um, I teach at the Malden Cultural Center, maldenculturalcenter.org. But um, <laughs> I, I have really tall ceilings in my room. They're like 14 feet high. I actually have done some recording of other projects and got this perfect sort of Americana kind of vibe, even folk vibe in that room because the acoustics are so good. But for me, I was like, let's, let's do something where I can kind of share the magic of the room as I'm playing the song. And basically, once I worked it up, I just did a performance and I was happy with what I did. And then I went back and just sort of jump edited. But during that video i had so much fun that i was like wow i used my good camera instead of my phone i used my really good microphone um and it turned out great as far as the sound quality and i really didn't have expectations for the view count on it or anything like that um it was mainly like i i knew it would probably get some views but i it did better than i thought and so that was the video that kind of opened up the door to doing these solo rush gigs um, so I was happy that I did it in the end. <laughs> you, know, you know, one of the things I like about that version is your when you hit those harmonics. Ah, you noticed that. Good. Was that because of the room? Did you want to get something out of the room with those harmonics? I thought that was a very interesting and unusual choice. Yes, very unusual for sure. But pretty much the way I work on guitar is I was thinking, oh, that's where the D chord just keeps ringing. And instead of just keeping the D chord ringing, I was like, well, I happen to know the notes of the guitar, and I know that on the seventh fret, that those are uh, shaping a D major chord, D F sharp and A. And so I thought, how cool would it be to just give it a little shimmer during that part instead of just strumming a chord? So I, I've had a lot of other people uh, enjoy that part and also question it, which you should question everything. <laughs> but um, but that's why I knew exactly that that would fit the chord progression. That's why I chose it, and then. There was a time where I was like, should I leave it in there? And I was like, yeah, I should. Hmm. So that was a great question, by the way. 
Let's check out one more, Brandon. This is your cover of Mission. Hold your fire. Keep it burning bright. Hold the flame till the dream ignites. A spirit with a vision is a dream. With a mission. comes to mind like i was sharing with you before about um uh hold your fire and just we were talking about a show of hands and how alex his guitar solo at the end just made everybody cry so i thought it would be cool this time around to do it on my new guitar the gypsy jazz guitar with a humbucker pickup you know (laughs) when i recorded that one though i triple tracked some of the parts so it was really really thick and a lot of times what happens is when you triple track and you, you hit the downbeat of the chord, it's hard to always get that astronomically lined up. But I did enjoy that one tremendously because it's always been one of my favorite Rush songs. I know Kevin J. Anderson also enjoys that. And I sent him my uh, version of it and he liked it a lot. I, I was really thrilled that he liked it. But basically, I wanted to do something at the end of the song that would sort of tie in what could have happened on show of hands if they would have just kept going for like 10 minutes, you know? Um, And so 
I took a lot of my approach to classical guitar composing and I just made a variation on the chord progression that Alex was playing over. And at the time, I was into a lot of gypsy jazz. So you and gypsy jazz, we do this thing where we'll take a four note chord and split it up on two notes on each string. And we'll, we can do that across the octaves. But I wanted to incorporate Neil's uh, drums. Somehow, I came up with the idea of how he loves to do these triplets across the bar line and stuff. I was like, wait a second, two notes per string will give me 16th note fills, right? But what if I add the open string in there too? And now I have triplets just like he would do on the drums. And so for me, being a solo act, I was like, how can I also bring Neil into it? And it would be something like that, where I'm taking an influence that's outside of Rush and then bringing in a mentality that I know Neil did. And that allowed me to just have a great, something that most guitarists probably wouldn't do. And again, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great time to be able to play that and share it. There's a video on YouTube that I did with just the end of the song. Uh, it's on my IGTV feed as well, if you want to go back and see it. But it, it will show you exactly what I'm playing on that last part of the song. And then the other thing I do want to mention, there is a part in the song that I skipped through. And that's because you have a lot of Neil's um, marimba stuff in there. And there's the, but I tried to simplify enough where it would come out of that, where it breaks down and, and Getty's got the soft pad and it's like the part that makes us cry or whatever. And so for me, I think it was one of these things that it just helped me uh, give back because that song, I mean, even my senior recital as a classical guitarist, I played that song that day before I did my program, you know, my hour recital. And so it, it meant so much to me that I could just give back. And, and again, that was, it was really great because I, I released it as a single and I went through Anthem and, and Peggy was really great about letting me know how to go about doing that. So it's officially released and rushesaband.com. Uh, when I re released it, they shared it. And it got 500 views in one day, which is not super, super high, but it was enough to know that people were listening to it, you know? And so uh, I know that people tend to enjoy it. So, yeah. And the lyrics, Brandon, I assume they have special meaning for you as well. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's like that whole dichotomy of I'm a musician, I'm an artist. There's a certain kind of person that chooses that life. And then the contrast with the person that's looking in on and, and to me, I think the lyrics are brilliantly done that way. And so, and I also have times where I'm like, man, I must be insane <laughs> to keep doing mm -hmm. this for a living. Um, is something a little bit more sane, like from mm -hmm. the lyrics, you know? But I thought they did a really great job, and Neil with his writing, of you almost picturing yourself having a conversation with two people that one's an artist or a musician, one may just look in and appreciate that, or maybe they're you know, a lawyer or a doctor, but they really like Rush and they kind of get it. Or even if they don't like Rush, they would probably get it. So lyrically, it was one that I really appreciate that I also wanted to share. So it definitely was um, a good way to spend my time, so to speak. Now, about a year ago, you released an original song called Enough, right. which you dedicated to Neil Peart. Yeah. And uh, we'd like to play a little bit of that here and uh, have you talk about that as well. So here it is, Enough. 
stage of lights I don't need to be a star There's something else that moves me It's enough, enough for me It's enough, enough Can't we stop pretending that all these things will make it right? And why can't we allow ourselves everything we already are? And someday we'll see that love's enough for you and me. So why can't we just be ourselves? So obviously the first stanza of this has a lot to do with, I think, Neil's point of view on the world. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, on the first verse, it's kind of neat because I do change tense uh, from first and second and third person on this song. So sometimes it's a thing I like to do because it sort of brings more people in. But you are correct in the fact that him and I shared that commonality of we don't really want to be celebrities necessarily. We just want to be good. You know, we want to spend our life doing something that we believed in and that and that we you know, had the privilege to do art for a living. But for me personally, it was, um, it was my personal opinion, just the same. And when I saw, and obviously you guys have seen Beyond the Lightest Stage, and, and most people to this date have, but there was a part in the song where he said, he's talking about just riding around on his motorcycle, being at a restaurant. He goes, I just want to be a guy. That's the thing I want to do. And he goes, and that's life enough for me. And I was like, chills, instantly chills. So I took that idea that he said, that phrase, and I came up with the concept of enough. And as I started writing the song, it was basically based on the idea that I wanted to be able to have a little bit of myself in there. And I, w- I played sort of like the narrator. So the narrator, which is usually Neil in most Rush songs, observer, if, if you will, I was frustrated from things that were going on in my life with the whole status thing and how people, you know, are so into the, you know, materialism and the things that I had, the type of car that I drive, the type of clothes that I wear. It was just, it's just noise. So for me, it was, um, it was a way to explain that I don't necessarily have to be a famous, famous rock star to be fulfilled with music. I can still sit back. Now was, is the dream red rocks? Absolutely but I'm still going to be the same person who I am. And I'm never going to be like, Hey, you should worship me as a celebrity. That's just not going to happen. And so for me personally, it was a way to sort of work into that character. And then I become the narrator of the other characters. So in the second verse, it's the girl that's staring into the mirror and the oxymoron is that all that she hears is the lies. She's looking at the mirror and we know the mirror always lies, presto, but she's staring in on that. And with all the pressure to be some sort of something in society with 
that women have to go through. You know, she's staring at herself and all she hears is the lies about herself and her broken dreams are just kind of pouring out of her eyes. So my point is there, it's enough, which you can probably know by the end of the song, enough is love, right? It's like straight up love and being ourselves and being the type of person that we want to be. And so for me, it was a perfect way to show that with one character. And then again, in the third verse, being able to have another character that was the extreme, he was the guy that feeds off materialism, that feeds off status. I've got the, he's looking in the store window. And if I have that, then that's what people are going to like, like, like me for. Or if I drive this car, people are going to, and, and again, we all, we all struggle with materialism uh, just living in this you know, world. Uh, it's so easy. And so it was a way to bring those characters to a small setting with a big issue. And that's the irony that I'm trying to prove in the verses there. And so the, the fun part about the song for me is that um, it's essentially something that's a little longer than a radio play song. Um, and so when I wrote that 7-8 guitar arpeggio, on Instagram, I shared a video of it and the band actually liked the arpeggio. It's like, wow, the official Rush Instagram just liked my enough guitar part. Like, what the heck, you know? So that was really cool. And it sort of gave me a little push, like, okay, I'm heading in the right direction. <laughs> so so we saw on your Twitter page that you were recently diagnosed with focal and generalized dystonia. So sorry to hear this, first of all. Uh, thank you. Has Rush's music helped you get through this in any way? That is actually a great, a great question. And, and it's definitely a yes. I mean, I think when, when you put a song on like marathon, how do you not be moved by that? Like, how do you not want to make your life line up with a marathon? You know, like, I mean, it's like, you can just quit. You can slow down. Sometimes I tell some of my students too, if you lose, if you feel like you're losing momentum in the direction that you want to go, then just take a day off, you know, just think about Maybe there's some things you might want to change, or maybe there's things that you um, need to, to take in objectively from somebody else. Maybe you need some people that you trust that can tell you, hey, just stick it out, man. You know, sorry, I didn't mean that to be a pun. But I, I think with dystonia, it was the first thing I lost was very critical to classical guitar, where if you did certain arpeggio patterns, and mainly it's my index finger and my right hand. So if I did something like thumb, index, middle, and my and I wanted to get my index back to the second string, perhaps, it would fight me. In the middle of my mind, just I've been playing classical guitar my whole life at school, whatever. I'm wanting it to go back to the string and it's pulling back to the palm of my hand and getting locked up. And it's like, oh my gosh. So so instantly I noticed it that and when I was in my classical guitar duo, Spatha, we were rehearsing like four times a night. And it was awesome because we just, we had to, to play the music that we were writing and, and doing arrangements and stuff of. So the chops were there, but mainly I had to take a hiatus from the duo. And then I recorded my solo guitar album. And then after that, and that was in 2012, it started to just sort of, get worse. <laughs> um, and then I started losing my balance and I would walk around and I know now that I have a tremor in my right foot as well. 
And so I could be walking downtown and people come by you and you don't really realize the muscles that you use to get by people as you walk downtown. And all of a sudden I'm like doing these random um, Michael Jackson thriller dance moves, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, I almost hit that guy in the face with my hand. And so you started to realize that I need to get diagnosed with something. So the first time I went into my neurologist's office, after I got recommended to her, she was a specialist and she just pulled out a pamphlet right away and said, look, this is early onset Parkinson's. And I was like, wow. And imagine if you walk in, you not know what to expect, but then someone hands you a pamphlet. They're that sure that you have Parkinson's, you know, it was hard to swallow. But um, then I had this new technology of a scan on my brain called a DAT scan. And they, they basically scan your brain for dopamine loss. And so they could go back to the results and say that I wasn't losing dopamine. And so then I was diagnosed with dystonia. And dystonia is basically this. Your brain is basically sending a misfire of a signal to your muscles, okay? So basically um, what happens is when you go do something, most of the time when you have a movement, there's muscles that contract and there's muscles that relax. And they're supposed to work together that way. But mine has a misfire. And what happens is uh, two sets of muscle groups contract. And now you have this abnormal movement or an abnormal posture and that sort of thing. And, and so as a musician, that's terrible news. And so just learning what I had and what I had to do, I'm on medication. Trihexyphenidol is what people with Parkinson's um, take. But um, recently I've been starting to run a mile a day and my tremors have gotten way better what they were before just by exercising regularly. It's amazing. Now, the other thing that was cool about it is I took some CBD oil and I could see right away that it helps the tremor. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that, that, you know, outside of taking your meds and stuff, the natural stuff works wonders. So I think for me, I just had to remain positive. And how do you remain positive as a musician, as a Rush fan? You listen to good music. You feed that positivity into your soul. And it's not that I don't have moments where I have things in my life that are definitely going to bring me down. I've been through so much. But essentially what you do is you, you say, you know what, let's take what works. So something now, if I play something virtuosic, where I used to play all of the fingers together, you know, I still have my nails, so I could play my classical and, and, and get the sound that I want. But now when I play arpeggios, I actually use two things that are on the opposite side of the hands that don't have the same muscle groups, the mm. thumb and the ring finger. So now I can go through any classical guitar piece and because I can read the music, I can just refinger it. And, and that's great. If I want to work up a Bach piece again, I can do it. I can find a way to do it. Because most of the time, the audience doesn't really care about your technique. They're there for the music, right? Mm. So if you can keep that going, I think, and definitely Rush had a, also an outlet to be able to um, perform, to, to play and to sing. And, and before I was doing mostly instrumental guitar or being a guitarist in an already vocal driven band. So there, I mean, I've played, you know, in a rock trio for 15 years. And unfortunately my, my buddy that was, a, was my drummer and he 
makes the electric guitars that I play, Adam's custom electric guitars, he passed away last year. Um, so it's been a year since he passed away. And we, him and I were really, really good friends. And essentially the band, we just, Sam and I, the bass player, just had lunch a few weeks ago. And basically we just said, hey, it's a clean slate. We'll leave it as what it was. In other words, we didn't want to try to carry on with another musician outside of that. But yeah, Charlie's um, he's just a beautiful human being. So, yeah. Well, so sorry for your loss, Brandon. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell us where we can find your music? If Rush fans want to get a hold of your music, where can they do that? Well, right now for me, the, probably the most successful social media outlet for me is my Instagram. So Brandon Dyke Guitar and also Brandon Dyke Progressive Rock. Those two. Um, I post a lot more on Brandon Dyke Guitar because you've probably seen that I'll do stuff that's Rush related, but I also do stuff that's music related. Um, it could be visiting my family and taking a picture of my sister's cat, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, my website, brandondyke.com, pretty simple. You can get in touch with, with me directly through there, uh, cell phone, email, whatever. If there's anybody interested in doing a house concert with <laughs> a solo Rush tribute guy, I won't bring the Elvis costume, but I'll bring your favorite band. So I'm wanting to do a lot of that now, like go city to city and get Rush fans that are around there that would be into it to just sort of chip in and do like an event. And so I have one coming up in Maryland this at the end of this month, which will be more of a charity thing for Overtime Angels. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's happening. And then my, my plans for next year is to, to really try to play a lot and just travel and play and, and, and work in my own songs in there too. Cause I think you should do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I've had a lot of people hear my music at like a house concert or whatever and go, man, I'm, that, that was a cool song. I'll, I'll download that. Or <laughs> I guess now it's like, I'll stream that, you know? So yeah, you can find me at brandi.com. I'm on Twitter at Brandon Dyke Band. And again, I'm a pretty much an open book. So uh, you can contact me directly through the website anytime. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast, Brandon, and sharing your music with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast, guys. You're the best. <laughs> thanks. So, Jerry, another great conversation with another great Rush fan. What do you think? Yeah, I'm surprised it took us this long to have him on. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things that we figured we always could if we wanted to. So we did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was great though. He was great Love talking to him. Maybe we should try to get him out to Jersey, get people, uh, yeah. Get up a collection. Know. Yeah. Get a collection going to see if we can have a house party in Jersey. That would be great. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Who are we inviting? I don't know. Let's find somebody else to host it though. I don't think my house is big enough. <laughs> We can invite all our listeners as long as it's at somebody else's house. <laughs> right, exactly. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of our conversation with Brandon Dyke. Lex did the bass intro and outro. And Jer, what's your quote? I'm going to quote from Brandon's song, Enough. Oh, nice. I don't need name brand clothes or a fancy new car i could live without stage and lights i don't need to be a star there's something else that moves me nice thanks jer all right see you later steve <laughs> <laughs>